highest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. D. David Schultz uh, in the squared circle. Earlier on, we had a look at him outside of the ring area. Either way, uh, Mr. Schultz, again, we'd like to state that I've never, I've never met a man who exudes arrogance as, as you do. You probably never will. You don't even like me, do you? Come on, answer. Everybody's listening. You don't like me, do you? I can't say you're one of my favorite people. Well, let me no. show you something. You know, I don't care what you don't like. Because, hey, hang loose, baby. Be cool. Come on, don't move. This is a gun. You probably don't know nothing about that because you probably ain't got enough money to afford nothing like that. You either. See, that gun could be loaded or unloaded. You don't know nothing about guns, so I'm going to let you touch it. But I will tell you this. I have a lot more than this. All right, we'll be back with David Schultz and his entire gun collection, hopefully. Welcome to episode 7. Don't know how that's possible. The 24-inch podcast. My name is Steve Bennett. I am in snowy Buffalo, New York. And my partner tonight from the soccer capital of the United States. Or wait, is it the Sopranos capital? Whoa, whoa. No, wait, 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 wait. So down, it's the snow capital of the United States. Uh, no, it's the melting capital. It's Hollywood. And I'm referring to snow. Hollywood Dave uh, Rollins, and also with us tonight, the newest member of the Snow Day Club, Miss Paula Marie Bennett. Paula! Hey! What's going on, baby? Nothing! Did you have your first snow day? Yeah! Tell us about it. What happens? So, in the ball, I got a sleepover. You got a sleepover because of it, but wow. how did it, how does it work out? How did you know you had a snow day? Well, it because my parent got a call and they said it was a snow day, so I went like, "Do you think my parents are gonna give me a sleepover or something?" And then they said you can have a sleepover. Nice. So, how did Daddy tell you you used to find out about snow days? Do you remember how I told you I used to find out when I was a kid? No. Dave, I don't know if it's probably like this in New Jersey, too. You would wake up like you normally did for school. Uh-huh. And then you'd put the radio on. You'd put um, on, like, AM radio and wait for them to go through the list. They Co- used to school call, they closings. Used to call, uh, and they'd go through them in alphabetical order. Yeah. Cool. Um, we, they used to call my mom in the morning. Well, yeah, I we didn't that. get calls. We, I remember they would do, uh, so if, if my school is closed, you needed them to say, all Buffalo public and parochial schools are closed for the day. And I believe cool. also, brother, they, they would blow yeah. a big whistle. But uh, one of the schools, Roosevelt School, to block. Because I got it to wake up with mommy, too. And so I had to take my bath. Oh, Paula's uh, out. She's got a bath. 
uh, Paula, before you go, isn't that Hold one on. of the best feeling? One of the best feelings in the world when you get that call or whatever. Was it the best you feeling? Find out about yeah. that snow day. Best feeling Some, in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm happy for you. Some positive snow talk here on a 24 inch podcast for once. Yeah, How about but, that. But I can't believe you guys had a whistle. That's like World War II yeah, shit. I think that. Well, still, I believe it still rings. It used to always ring Saturdays at noon. That's how I knew it was time for the superstars of wrestling. I'm not even kidding around. It would ring every Saturday at noon for some reason I should know, but I don't know why. If my, any of my friends are listening to this, please let me know why that why it rang, rang Saturday at noon. I believe still does. But you would get your phone. You, you know, you get your phone call. And uh, I guess for people that maybe missed the call or whatever, the bell would big whistle would blow. Yeah, see, I went to a school district that had, I don't know, twenty thousand students or something. Okay, you know, I went to the buff. I went to a Buffalo public school. Yeah, we had we didn't even so, have buses or anything like that. Yeah, where, see, you this, know, you're talking some small town USA stuff. Small here. town, it's it's small town, but it's we're the seventeenth biggest town in New Jersey, but we have a big industrial area of Kearney, South Kearney. So we're pretty much a, a small town. Yeah. But, uh, the frustrating yeah. thing for us was, like, let's say you turn on the radio and they're going through the school closings and they're like, Clarence Central Schools are closed. You had to wait all the way till they got back to the bees. So it, wouldn't like, that be great if, if you if you put it on the radio and it's Howard Finkel doing it? Clarence Central yeah, School. Yeah. Like Skyler the, School. Like the, cro- like the card <laughs> at the garden. Yeah, or, or the WWF on tour, you know, yeah. when the plane the plane would ride by. No, it was just some jabroni from the AM five fifty, you know, news station, and we would have that on, and you'd have to wait all the way back through the beginning, and I'd be eating my cereal. Come on, say Buffalo, say Buffalo, and awesome. then what if? And then they did, and I go right back to sleep. And I, I think that, that yeah yeah absolutely hell yeah I'm a, I'm I'm not a morning person by any means. But uh, I think as I started getting older, maybe uh, junior high years, some people call it middle school, I think we started finding out the night before with phone calls, and that was really wild. So especially getting into high school, you have a few beers, you don't know, and you don't have school the next day. Yeah, I think with uh, Buffalo being a uh, lower-income district and parts of it, they would always wait till the last second to cancel because – and it's I I mentioned this with COVID too because for years and years, and I'm talking, you know, 40 years of my lifetime, you'd hear out of Buffalo like – we can't close these schools. These kids need to be in there to get meals, to get heat, you know, for everything. They would do everything they could to not have a snow day. And then COVID came, and they're like, no, we don't need Different to be world. in there. Yeah, oh, we don't need to be in school. Teacher Different world. like, oh, no, that's all right. The kids can stay home. We're good. One year how, straight. How, yeah. How little everything really meant, you know, that we, we really thought something was one way and then something could just drastically change it to another way. But, but anyway, you know, but anyway. what Randy Savage says, it is what it is, right? So speaking of it is what it is, we got into a discussion off the air. We were just bullshitting or whatever, and we were talking. You were telling me about watching, I guess, the Elimination Chamber or whatever the pay-per-view was, and... I kind of realized in my own mind that you are a much more active wrestling fan than me. I think I am truly what would be referred to as a lapsed fan. Um, Mm -hmm. Around the time of WrestleMania 15, maybe 16, I stopped watching every week. From, say, 86 when I started until, you know, 2000 or so. I watched wrestling, you know, every week. I watched every show. I, When the internet came on, I started using the internet 
to collaborate. I rented tapes. I read the magazines. You know, I was very, very active and very, very interested in wrestling. And then around that time, as I started to go to bars more, as I started to have other interests, play a lot of hockey, whatever it was, I became less and less of a fan. And then around the launch, now occasionally, Hulk comes back. You know, he's wrestling Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. You know, something like that. Or Steamboat, when Steamboat came back and had the match with Jericho. You know, I think I watched a couple of pay-per-views to, to watch Steamboat. So occasionally I would watch something. But for the most part, I was out. And by the time John Cena happened, I was out, out, out. Um, the only event I went to for probably 15 years was every summer I play roller hockey at this big rink in Buffalo. And one week our games got canceled because wrestling was at the rink where we played. And my buddy who loves it's like, you got to come watch. You'd be there anyway. Come watch. There's this guy, CM Punk, in the Federation. And he's going to be the like next great thing. So I went and watched and actually. What like, year is this? What year is this around? Oh, man. Well, first of all, help me remember the name of the Federation it was. It's the one uh, that he uh, was like the champion of. Ring of Honor. I don't yeah, know. Ring I of Honor. So, yeah, it was oh, Ring yeah. of Honor. And when we got there, so it must have been, you know, it was right before, not that long before he jumped to the WWF. And I'm pretty sure he was the champion. So I'm sure someone knows when. Yeah, he he was a big deal on the on the indies. But uh, and the, the the darling ship rolled over for sure. So then when I got there, the guy who ran the league was actually talking to CM Punk, who's a big wrestling fan or hockey fan. Hockey fan, sure. And was talking about the league, and I went over. I met him. We were talking about hockey and talking about playing in the rink. And there's actually four rinks in this place. And. Telling him, like, oh, yeah, you know, there's an Olympic-sized rink over there. You know, oh, blah, blah, blah. Talking about, about hockey. And then he's like, all right, I got to go get ready. Watch a show, whatever. That's really all I had seen for years. And then when the network came out. Now, I should back up a little bit. I That's was a big jump. I was a member of the online website 24-7 thing. And oh, I would watch. Yep, I would watch that. I would read wrestling books. So even then, when I was a Laps fan, I was still interested in what I was interested in, I guess is one way to put it. And then when the network came out, I subscribed and I gave it a try. Watch WrestleMania 30. And again, I hadn't been around for the Cena run. So I was interested in Cena. I really love Cena. I think he's amazing professional wrestler. Me too. I think he's undoubtedly on the WWF Mount Rushmore. If you're doing a WWF Mount Rushmore, I think it's inarguably Bruno Hulk, Austin, and Cena. Cena, yeah. Um, it represent that at least representing every era there, for sure. Right. If you say you want to do like the modern era and keep Bruno off, yeah. then okay, maybe you got a spot for Undertaker, or Rock, or whoever you want to put next. But I think that that's basically the you know the Mount yeah, Rushmore. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And then by the time the WrestleMania came up the next year, I was out again. And here's why I made the decision. It's pretty simple. When you add up all the hours in the week, 24 times 7, whatever that comes out to, and you look at it and you say, okay, I got this many hours to dedicate to wrestling. I very much just decided that I wanted to spend those hours watching what I loved, not something that was creating a person in me who 
despised what he watched and would complain about what he watched and disliked what he watched. It just didn't make sense to me. And I made this decision in another area of my life, and that was Howard Stern. You know, I start every show with a nod to Howard, with a hey now. I've been listening to Howard since 1992, 1993. And like wrestling, in 2009, Howard left, or already left Howard. Uh, I listened to about 2011, and then that was it. I was out. I listened to Howard Stern every single day. Not a day passes. I don't, That's a great comparison. I don't something listen. Something that's changed very yeah, much. I, I don't. Not a day passes. I don't listen to Howard, but I haven't listened to a live show, uh, probably since 2013 when he did his, or 2004 January 2014 when he did his 60th birthday show. I listened to that live. Now occasionally Eddie Vedder's on. Okay, I want to hear Eddie and Howard together. I listen to that. Like if Hulk's on, someone you know, tells me or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so check this. So I'll pop in here and there, maybe. To see something, but for the most part, I'm out and I'm spending the time I have for these things I love watching what I love or listening to what I love. And with the Internet and with Google Drive and, you know, um, torrent sites and Discord, there's archives of footage. I don't never need to watch something I don't like again. So that's where I am. That's when and why I became a Laps fan. What say you, Dave? Okay, well, you know, when I got into it in 86, uh, you know, wrestling, of course, up until about, you know, 96, got 10 full years, it was like my thing. And my, you know, my guy friend, my my friends, the you know, the people people around me, six or seven different friends were into it as well. But it was the Dave Rollins thing, wrestling. I was a wrestling guy. I taped it every week. I still have in, in my parents' basement the... Thousands upon thousands of tapes. Some people in the wrestling community know about that already. Uh, I still, you know, I still have them. I taped every show. WCW, I even started in 94, taping all those shows as well. I, it was just my thing. Fast forward to, you know, you're getting a little older, getting to high school. 96 hits and the NWO comes around. And other people are starting to ask me questions now about this. Hey, what's going on in wrestling? People are stopping me in the streets. People are asking this. Who's the third man? Who's that? Bubble, bubble, guys, girls are getting into it, different things. So at the same time, I'm getting older and maturing and partying and doing normal things, I guess. And uh, I've mentioned Uncle Tito on here many a times. Uh, my Aunt Dee had passed away by the – no, she had not. No, she, well, how can I say that? She was still alive at this time, and we would go over uh, to their house every Monday night to watch Nitro. And I remember the Nitro party type of thing. Well, while that was going on, while, like – quote-unquote nitro party we're all talking and we're all doing this we're kind of not paying attention what's going on on the tv as much as i was you know 10 years prior when i was a kid sure, it was an event yeah. More than, yeah yeah it turned into like an event and then little by little people start going away from the, the things in 1999 my aunt d passed away god rest her soul and then it kind of turned into me and my really close friends would go over there still because uncle tito that was our night to go over there and now that his wife, you know, Dante had passed away, we made it like a thing to go over there weekly and visit him and watch Raw. Uh, by this time, Raw. And, um, you know, no, it was still Nitro in 99, but, you know, you, you catch what I'm saying. But did we really pay attention? No. When the NWO came back in 2002 and, you know, the whole, we were, you know, I'm a big diehard Hogan fan, obviously. Yeah, you pay attention for a while there. You get in and out of it. 
for a while in and out of it. It's down to maybe three or four friends coming over by 2003, 2004, just to visit my uncle. We're in our early 20s now. You know, we all have lives and different things like that. And then eventually uh, that went away, and there was no more gathering for wrestling at Uncle Tito's house by maybe 2009-ish, 10-ish, somewhere around that ballpark. And since then, I've been the wrestling fan I am now. I pop in occasionally. Uh, if it wasn't for the network, I wouldn't be watching this Elimination Chamber, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be paying for it. Uh, since it's, you know, it's on my TV anyway, if I'm home, I put, you know, I put it on in the background. I like to see what's going on. Do I like it? Usually not. However, I do like, I was never, I'm just going to use, use this as an example. I was never a Goldberg fan, but I do like him winning now just to see those internet fans, Marks, Marks, whatever you want to call them, whine and cry. So I'm like the opposite. I'm watching it. That I wanted Cena to win because they would cry about that. Like anything like, oh, this is going to be great. Let me go on Facebook or whatever and see all these jabronis whining and crying. You know, so I kind of watch it that way now. And you know, well, that was part of what, there. that was part of what pushed me out. You know, oh, absolutely, absolutely. People who couldn't and, and look at I do respect burnout. You know, I did have the ability to miss Oops. burnout, like the idea of people being burned out from Cena or whatever. Oh, you're talking about me six years ago. Well, that too. Uh, but like, look at there was just too much. It, the, the the quote unquote smarks. They're just too much, and I didn't want to be one of them. No way. And man. as I felt myself drifting more and more to that, I had to get out. And it's interesting because you mentioned Nitro. I never watched an episode of Nitro in my yeah, life. Yeah, it surprises me. Yeah, I was a loyal WWF guy with the exception of the fact that I did enjoy ECW. Buffalo was a huge ECW city, and, um, you know, we had a pay-per-view here. You know, they would come here regularly. And I would go to all the shows. I mean, I loved going. But that felt like something different. Yeah, I've you been know. to a few in Queens. You know, so. well, for one, uh, there was people from ECW going on to Raw. So it almost felt like they were teammates in a way. And also, I just, that was more of a night out with the boys than anything. It was more about that than wrestling. You know, it was more about ever... just going to the crowd and hooting and hollering and throwing shit and bringing weapons for New Jack. And, you know, so but yeah. it was different. But really, I was a loyal WWF guy from 86 on. That's all I would watch. Did you ever see the uh, the Raw in 97 where uh, ECW invaded? It was in the Manhattan yep. Center. Yep. I'm, I'm in the front row with a BWO shirt on and a backwards white hat. You see me through the whole show. You actually see me give Farouk the finger. You know, I kind of want to tell people he turned around and said, damn, at me, you know. <laughs> but you definitely enjoy the new stuff more than me, or at least you're forcing yourself yeah, just, through it yeah, either out of obligation of, or habit or whatever it is. I can't totally well, I kinda, figure it I out. I kind of want to. Like when AEW first started and from listening to all the podcasts, you know what I mean? I'm, I listen to podcasts at work all the time. That's how I wound up here, the kind of job I have. But from listening to all the retro wrestling podcasts, oh, AEW is coming. AEW is coming. You know, I watched it the first week. I sat down. I got a six pack, you know. And you know what? I didn't think it was all that great. I like Chris Jericho. I like this one. I like that one. But the fans pushed me away. I can't I can't do that. I can't be one of them. I just it's just I don't know, man. It's just it's not for me. That that style of person. This is something I don't wish harm on any of these people. But saying they're going to riot if so and so wins. Yeah, let's let let's see a riot in front of me and my friends if we're wearing uh, Cena shirts or Hulkamania shirts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give me a break. 
Give yeah. me a break. It's just so. not, you know, and there's a little bit of news this week that, you know, the big show, he's over there now. And look at, I appreciate the fact that the that these guys, I like wrestlers, you know, so I'm glad they have somewhere to work. Yeah, you know, I'm money. glad there's some good money behind the promotion. You know, I'm glad there's someone challenging Vince, keeping Vince honest. Um, so I'm all for that. You know, I'm glad those guys have somewhere to, to work. And, you know, I was surprised to hear Big Show. He always felt like a, a WWF lifer to me. But I guess, hey, if they're not using you. He's been there over 20 years. You know, I'm and pretty they, sure, nonstop. And maybe this will make Vince think like, hey, we do got to use these guys more than just, a, you know, a fake contract or whatever. It says they're legends. You, you know, know what I call to- you know what I call Tony Khan, the million dollar mark. Yeah, he's a money uh, mark for sure. Yeah, they're they're yeah. not uh you know they're not turning the profit I don't think, and spending all this money. And could you imagine if you know Big Show was gone for a while? Or I think this probably has happened. WWE brings him back, puts him in a big spot, and the fans, AEW type fans, will whine and cry all over the internet. But now when Big Show or Sting comes in to AEW. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread, my brother. And and if Goldberg went there, they would like they would defend that, but they hate all over him over this way. This, this is this is what this is what I mean. If you like the Big Show, be happy he's there. Be happy he's on. Be happy he's making money. If you don't like him, then don't watch him. That's it. Yeah, and you also mentioned this week that the Miz is the champion again, and it's the first Miz? time he's been the champion in a decade or more. And you mentioned it's similar to the gap between Backlund as champion. Yeah, very similar. Bob Backlund lost the title December, late December of 83, so we could say 84. He won it back, Survivor Series 94, so 10 years, almost 11 years. I don't have the exact time when Miz lost the title. I know he had it at WrestleMania 27, which was WrestleMania 2011, so he lost it sometime after that WrestleMania and has regained it in uh, February of 2021. So it's, Miz is a little less, but around the same amount of time. But could you imagine thinking, if you asked me, if I didn't see the show and you said, hey, Dave, Miz won the title. When did he have it last? I can't remember. I'd say, ah, oh, Steve, uh, I know he had it. It had to be about three or four years ago. It was the same event. And imagine in 94 calling me, telling me, Dave, Bob Backlund won the title off Bret Hart in Survivor Series. Holy shit. When's the last time he had it? I would say, what the hell? You know, I, I know because I'm a big wrestling fan. Let's say I didn't know. I don't know. It was eternity. Seems yeah. like so much had the whole world had changed. The whole re- wrestling, forget it. Everything had changed. It's just crazy. The, the, like, I think it's Peter Winston, one of the guys say, I mean, the set since 97, 98 of Raw is almost basically the same still. It's what the hell, man? It's it, There's no change. Like, if they something small like that, if they've made it look all different, I might watch it one week. Oh, let me try to sit here and watch it. That's why I failed to say. I, I do try to force myself. So, you know, I'm going to go home. That's Monday. I got nothing going on. You know what? Let me sit down and actually really pay attention to uh, the show tonight, see what's going on. I make it through about 15 minutes, so, and I'm looking at my cell phone. You know, Something like I was thinking about at The Miz, the show The Wonder Years, right? When it, when it debuts in 1988, it's about a family – in the year 1968. So a 20-year gap. So if there's a wonder years right now, that family would be in 2001. <laughs> Crazy. And that just does... I remember watching the wonder years thinking, like, that is from a day past. Yeah. Or right? Stand like, By Me. You know, that is just from a different era. That's from a different world. 
And now you think about 2001 and it's like, I remember 2001. I mean, is it just, will people say, oh, it's just you guys because you guys are getting old? Well, maybe. Let us know. Uh, 20, yeah. Number two, number four inch podcast on Twitter. And, and how about this while we're at it? I don't yeah. want to take up a bunch of time on this shit, but somebody like, uh, uh, I don't know if you, since you don't watch the product, there's this guy, I don't know if he's a rapper or something, Bad Bunny, that's involved in wrestling now. He's a celebrity. Yeah, I never heard of him. So, all right. So, I, first thing I say is, who's this jabroni? I look him up. He's not jabroni. He's got like, 50 million followers on Instagram. The guy's a star. A 40-year-old man who I consider myself a young 40, even though I'm not going to listen to that, I don't like that kind of music, I should know who he is. Yeah, I've never but heard of I him. I don't. Everything is so, like, categorized to demographics now that like, how could we, like, any a 40-year-old knew who, you know, any Sydney pop Lopper. star is. But even into the 2000s, Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears, right. you know, Timberlake, all this you know, our parents, whoever knew who they, parents were. They're not icons. Them, you know what I mean. They're not icons. They're famous, but they're not icons. That's yeah. the thing. The music is replaceable. The, the music that, how long is the song number one now? A week? Two, maybe? You know, it just comes and goes. It's all very replaceable. But I mean, we flat out never heard of this guy. And he's got 50 million Instagram followers. Right, because he's famous, but not iconic. Yeah, but it's crazy. There's a difference. Though. He's famous. He's famous on the internet, but he's not an icon. I guess. Yeah, I guess that's what – the internet changed everything. I think that's going to be the answer to all our questions here tonight. On not today's tonight. show, it's an ambitious one. We are going to look back at the June 17, 1984 show at the Met Center in Minnesota. And uh, that show was the first time that the WWF ran Minnesota, and it's also – headlined by a Hulk Hogan versus Dr. D David Schultz match. So we got a lot to do. We have to talk about who is this Dr. D. Uh, we got to talk about the history of Minnesota and wrestling. Why was it such a big deal? The WWF were there that day. If we're going to talk about Do Dr. D, we have to talk about John Stossel in 2020. Uh, what's all that about? Uh, and we also got to find out. 2020, the show. The show, yeah. We also have to find out where Hulk was in 84. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about The Dark Side of the Ring, a show that did a whole episode on this. John Stossel, David Schultz stuff. Uh, of course, we got to do emails. We got to tell you what we're going to do next time. So we got a lot to do today. So, Dave, I say to you, let's take a break and we'll come back on the other side and we'll start to set this up. Who is David D? Wrestling in Minnesota, why was it important? Who is John Stossel? You know, what is 2020? What is that show? Still on today, by the way. Uh, and we'll also talk about where Hulk was in June of 84. So that's what we're going to do next. Uh, I'm ready if you are, Dave. I'm ready. Let's hit the piece of do. All right. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the 24-inch podcast. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, The Sportscasters, 10 years in the making. You can find it on Twitter, at sports underscore caster, or download episodes wherever you found this podcast. You can find the 24-inch podcast on Twitter as well. We're at the number two, the number four, the word inch podcast, at 24-inch podcast. Email us at 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about our friend Peter Winson and greeting from Allentown, it's at GF Allentown Pod. 
are back. 24-inch podcast. Steve Bennett, Dave Rollins, Dr. Death, David Schultz, a character uh, in a business certainly full of characters. He was born June 1st, uh, 1955. That makes him 65 years old, still alive uh, today. He was born in Madison, Madison County, Tennessee, Six foot six. Was his build height 270 pounds, trained by Herb Welch, uh, who's an old timer, you know, uh, watching the uh, Dark Side of the Ring uh, documentary. Jim Cornette said he, he was the last of the people who you could learn the business from who were around when the business was being created um, in its, you know, in its form or whatever. But, yeah, he was trained in the mid 70s. Um, and he, is this the guy, so, yeah, this is trying to cut you off. Is this the guy that would put shit under his armpits and put you in a headlock while training you. I don't I know. I saw that somewhere. I yeah, no I believe idea. it's him. Okay. I just saw that somewhere. All right. So he put shit <laughs> under his arms and put you in a put headlock. You in a headlock yeah. Brother. Uh, but no, thanks. he began wrestling in mid America, NWA mid America during the mid seventies. And he teamed with Roger Kirby to defeat Bill Dundee and big bad John for the NWA Mid-American Tag Team Championship. Badass John. In 1976. Um, he was in the Maritimes promotion. He defeated Terry Sawyer for the Canadian Heavyweight Championship in Halifax in 77. Uh, from there, he went to Hartford. Uh, wrestled in Hartford. And um, he, I mean, really bounces around. He, he's in Stu Hart's. Uh, Stampede Wrestling as part of Foley's Army, uh, feuding with Leo Burke and Mr. Hito. He also briefly teamed with Wayne Ferris, who became the Honky Tonk Man, baby. Honky Tonk Man. Um, And they feuded all across Western Canada, including a cage match um, in Vancouver, British Columbia in 1983. There's someone out there right now who was at a Dr. Death versus Wayne Ferris cage match in Vancouver in 1983. Send us your emails. Yep. In and 19- Polaroids. In 1980- Wait a minute. Not that, not that kind of Polaroid. You know what I mean. Of the match. In 1984, he was in Memphis. And uh, Vince McMahon became impressed with him after watching an interview uh, in which he had made derogatory remarks about Hulk Hogan during a brief stay in the area. Now, he says, Dr. D., that when Hulk was coming up, he kind of took Hulk under his wing, let Hulk crash on his couch when Hulk was poor. And because of that, Hulk reached back out and said, I want you to come and work in the WWF because we're going to make a lot of money together. That's Dr. D's side of the story. Uh, legend has it that he was working with Macho Man and, La- and Lanny Poffo, and they signed, they saw, Vince saw them, and the three of them came over together. Um, uh, I believe roughly. that, that, well, no, they, I believe what I've heard is that, um, uh, they saw when, after Schultz was fired for the, uh, after the Stossel incident and the Mr. T incident, which we're going to get into, he was cutting promos on Vince in Memphis. And so they got the tapes and brought him back to Vince and that's where they saw the Pafos and brought them in. So I don't know uh, the information I had. In my research is at eighty four. Yeah. So uh, now they got both both stories. Yep, there you got both ideas. So you believe what you want. Within a short time, he became one of the top heels in the WWF. Obviously, he was aligned with Piper and Orton and Orndorff, and they feuded with Superfly 
and uh, SD Jones and Rocky Johnson, Boa Brazil. You know, he's in there kind of before the roster starts to turn over with the stars from the other territories. He's kind of in the beginning of the of the the period where Vince kind of snatches up the top talent from all of the um, all the territories. And obviously his kind of run there is culminated with his June 17th match against Hulk Hogan in Minneapolis and we'll talk about that about that tonight. Um I mentioned, you know, this time this is when Vince is buying up talent. This is when he's on his manifest destiny. He's spreading out across the country, across the world. He's taking the territories, his territory, a regional promotion in New York, and he's making it national. And to do that, he spreads out into Minneapolis. Now, Minneapolis, for a long time, um, was owned by Vern Gagne. It was the Gagne territory and a guy named uh, Wally Carbo. They were the founders of the territory. Uh, Vern Gagne owned it. Initially, they were the NWA Minnesota NWA Minneapolis Boxing and Wrestling Club, uh, and it became the AWA. And it was their territory, and it was a big territory, right? They had a lot of space. They had into Canada, like into Winnipeg, you know, down into the U.S., kind of to the middle part, you know, Milwaukee, Chicago, Omaha, Denver, Salt Lake. It's a big territory. Um. And they broke away from the NWA uh, in 1960 after unsuccessfully lobbying for a match between Vern and Pat O'Connor, who was a champion at the time. Uh, And because of that, they started their own title and their own promotion. That's when it became the AWA instead of the uh, boxing and um, wrestling club or whatever. And when they made that break, that's when they really expanded the territory into those big cities. And... Would you say that Nick Bockwinkle is maybe their biggest champion um, outside of Vern himself, who wrestled for a long time in the territory? Um, and what happens is is Hulk Hogan is in the WWF. And they're the WWWF maybe at that time. And he gets a chance to be in Rocky Three. And Vince McMahon Sr. tells him, nope, you're either a wrestler or a movie star. And Hulk says, all right, I'm a movie star. He leaves and does the movie. And Vern says, well, why don't you come in? To the AWA. And he goes off there. Hulkamania is really born there. Uh, But maybe. In a fatal mistake. As his popularity grew. To unprecedented levels. Vern refused to make Hulk the AWA champion. And. Crazy. Crazy. And they fought over. What percentage of the money. Would be split up. uh, Based on. Sales, you know, what percent would Hulk get? What percent would the that was just merchant? Like, yeah, yeah, the, the merchandise that Hulk was making himself in the mall. Now you know, he was getting the shirts printed in the mall. Now and wearing them on the spectacular legacy of the AWA DVD, which is a WWF production, we should say. Uh, Gagne denied bias against Hogan and defended his actions by reasoning that he believed Hulk's pursuit of the title was the draw for the audience and that they didn't need him to be champion. Now, they did the the dirty stuff two different times, right? Where they basically made Hulk win the uh, title, uh, but then returned it to Bachwinkle on technicalities. You know, the dusty super, finish. Super Sunday was a big show. Close circuit. April, right, that area. April 18th, 1982, Hogan defeated 
Bachwinkle with the help of a foreign object that Bachwinkle's manager, Bobby Heenan, had interjected in the match. After the free three count, the belt was awarded to Hogan, and he was announced a champion. Uh, but Heenan informed the referee of the object, and the ref questioned Hogan about it. But the blood on Hogan's face was evidence that the object had been used on him. The ref stood by his decision, and Hogan left the arena as the champion. But six days later, the AWA president, Stanley Blackburn, stripped Hogan of the title and returned it to Bachwinkle. Now, the second time was Super Sunday, a card in St. Paul, Minneapolis in 1983. Hogan again pinned Bachwinkle and was awarded the belt and announced as the new champion. But this time, Blackburn came to the ring moments after the match and tried to have Hogan retroactively disqualified for throwing the champion over the top rope a few minutes before the pin call, pinfall occurred. However, the match had been booked as a no-DQ match, which prevented this. So Blackburn strip, simply stripped Hogan of the title and once again handed it back to Bachwinkle. The crowd, which has exploded in cheers, uh, almost rioted when learning that Hogan was once again cheated out of the title. And that would have been tough people rioting, yes. real people, not jabronis from the internet. On the DVD we talked about <laughs> earlier, The Spectacular Legacy of the AWA, it was revealed that Gagne planned to have Hogan win the belt that night, but only if he would give Gagne the bulk of the revenues that he was earning from merchandise and his periodic main event performances in New Japan. Outraged, Hogan refused, but offered a 50-50 split, and Gagne refused and kept the belt. So this was basically what it came down to. Gagne may have lost his whole promotion and a chance to be Vince McMahon, over 50% of Hulk's merchandise and being short-sighted and old school, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he ever would have made it. I mean, it, it would be, he would have made a lot of money, but I don't think he had what, what Vince Jr. has Hogan, to expand Hogan all that. did admit in his autobiography, My Life Outside the Ring, that he still intended to stay with AWA and Gagne, had planned to book him in matches with Bonkwickle in an effort to expand the AWA to the New York market. But he decided to leave when Vincent K. McMahon offered him the championship. Uh, and that just starts, you know, a flood of people jumping. And uh, big names came from there. Mean Gene, uh, Adrian Adonis, Jumpin' Jim Bronzel, David Schultz, Wendy Richter, Jesse Ventura. Um, Bobby, eventually. Bobby the Brain Heenan a little bit later, of course. Um, but yeah. The, uh, Patera came back. Yep, yeah, the t- the talent just just kind of follows Hogan East, and uh, and the WWF becomes the big promotion, and eventually in June of '84, uh, they run the they run they run their match. They run their match in the uh, in the Met. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, John Stossel, John Frank Stossel, March sixth, nineteen forty seven. 73 years old, born in Chicago Heights, Illinois. Uh, graduated from Princeton in Nijezi. Um, He's been active in the media since 1969 and still is active. Uh, yeah, it looks good for his age, uh, down that dark side for sure. Yeah. He is considered. Except for, except for that one little hole he has in his head. I don't know where that came from. Except for the hole in his head. Yeah, He's an American television personality, author, consumer journalist, and libertarian pundit known for his career on both ABC News and Fox Business Channel. Now, the consumer journalist part of it is what is at the center of this controversy. Uh, He would do a lot of pieces where he would 
catch insurance companies cheating people out of money or whatever the case, things like that. Um, and that's what he was trying to do. He was just trying to expose wrestling uh, for being fake or whatever. That's what he says. And we'll get more into that later. But uh, in 1981, Arun Aldridge offered Stasso the job at ABC News as a correspondent for 2020 and a consumer reporter for Good Morning America. His Give Me a Break segments for the former featured a skeptical look at subjects from government regulations and pop culture to censorship and unfounded fear. The series was spun off into one-hour specials with budgets of over half a million dollars that began in 1984. Uh, during the course of his work in 2020, Stossel discovered Reason Magazine and found the libertarian ideas of its writers made sense to him. Stossel was named co-anchor of 2020 and 2003 while he was writing his first book, Give Me a Break, How I Exposed Hucksters, Cheats, and Scam Artists, and became the scourge of the liberal media. That was published in 2004. He went on to work at Fox News, uh, and today he works for himself. He's out there on the internet uh, making YouTube videos and uh, doing it the hard way, I guess, or the maybe even the easy way in 2021. Who knows? What's 2020, you ask? Well, 2020 was an American television news magazine that had been broadcast on ABC since June 6th, 1978. Uh, it was created by Rune Aldridge, or Aldridge. The program was designed similarly to 60 Minutes. It was basically created to be ABC's version of 60 Minutes in that it featured in-depth story packages and it focused more on human interest as opposed to, say, international and political subjects like 60 Minutes. Uh, the program's name derives from the 2020 measurement of visual acuity. Uh, it started as a two-hour program on Friday nights. It started at eight, 9 o'clock and would air till the news. And boy, do I remember this. Um, but it moved to that time slot on Thursdays in 87. Uh, and they had special editions of the program, would air on other nights. And it led to the ABC's two-hour TGIF block of sitcoms. So a real integral part of ABC's programming for years and years and years. And um, it still airs today. But since the fall of 2018, it's shifted to a two-hour format highlighting true crime stories and celebrity scandals. And they also do the What Would You Do stuff started on there. Um, so it's more of that kind of show. But Dave, I don't know about you. Do you remember this being on and it's sort of signaling the end of your night in a way? Like, I remember it was like, I would watch TV, whatever, Roseanne, whatever. And then when that music came, 60 Minutes, like, ah, oh, shit, just about bedtime. You know, I don't know. To me, this was always just like a, a trigger to me that the night was over, time to get ready for school or whatever the case. Uh, and, and, of course, Barbara Walters joined the program in 1979 uh, as a co-anchor. And she was there forever, her and Hugh Downs. Uh, were the were the main men on this team, and they were on there for like 15, 16 years together. Um, and then she spun off with her specials, which are always a big deal when they aired. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's just about everything. We talked about Schultz, AWA, Stossel, and 2020. Those are the four uh, main things on the show today. What do you think, Dave? Reactions, thoughts? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, to answer your question, I definitely remember the show. I remember the the music and all that. But uh, my signal, meaning that it time's up, it's over, time to go to bed, dude, 
was uh, here in New York, WPIX Channel 11, The Odd Couple, followed by The Honeymooners. That was my signal. But yeah, 2020, it's a staple in our our childhood and our life, right? It's been on forever. Yeah. Uh, the theme music kind of is iconic, you know, sticks out in your head. It's had 43 seasons, 500 plus episodes. You know, like I said, it debuted June 6, 1978. Neither of us are even born yet. No, actually, I was born two years to the date, June 6, 1980. How about that? Yep. So your birthday is 2020's birthday, and it's got two years on you. Now, D-Day. one other thing that we like to do in this section before we get too far ahead of ourselves is we like to check in on the Hulkster. So, Dave, I ask you, we are six months into his reign as champion, his first reign. Uh, what was Hulk up to in June of 1984? Okay, my good brother, we're going to be taking a trip over to the land of the rising sun once again. Um, the Hulkster is on a Japan trip uh, for most of the months of June of 1984. And uh, starting out, uh, I also want to let you know that uh, Hulk Hogan uh, won the IWGP Championship of New Japan on June 2nd of 1983. We, I don't think we've ever mentioned that here on the 24-inch podcast before. Uh, the IWGP Championship stands for International Wrestling Grand Prix. It's a tournament. And then the winner of the first tournament, which the Hulkster won, would only have to defend the title annually. Now, this only against the winner of the tournament the next year. And this um, way of it only lasted until 87. And then the belt became um, a regular championship of New Japan. Dave Meltzer, don't kill me if I'm messing some of this up. But I'm um, pretty sure we knew, we all knew about this from the Meltzer mags. I'm sorry, the uh, after mags back in the day would cover this extensively. Well, anyway, Hulkster won that title in uh, June of 83 before he came to the WWF, of course. And uh, he defeated Nico- uh, Antonio Inoki, his good friend, by knockout that night. I think there's clips on the uh, Hulk Hogan biography of that. Him hitting, uh, Antonio Inoki was standing out in the apron and Hulkster hit him with a... Uh, the Axe Bomber, uh, and, and Oki went out on the floor. But anyway, he didn't have to defend it for a year, so now the year's up. So uh, let me go through some of his results, and we'll get to the big IWGP championship match. Now, in June, in the World Wrestling Federation, uh, Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Sheik were ho- holding the forts down the big arenas with their big boot camp matches that I'm sure we're all familiar with because uh, the world champ was over in Japan. On June 8th, 1984, Amori... Amori, Japan. Uh, the team of Antonio Noki and Tatsumi Fujinami defeated the Hulkster and none other than Dick Murdoch. Interesting combination there. In Japan, you see a lot of this. The Americans will come over. June 9th. Oof. Kumagaya, Japan. Antonio Noki, Fujinami, and Fujiwara. Uh, not to be confused with Mr. Fuji, whose last name is also Fujiwara, I believe. Defeats uh, this crazy combination of Hulk Hogan, Ken Patera, and the Mass Superstar. June 10th, Shizuoka, Japan. The Hulkster, the adorable one, Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch over Todi Onoki, Seiji Sakaguchi, and Osama Kido, Kaido. June 11th, Nagoya, Japan. Hulk Hogan and the Masked Superstar and Ricky Choshu over Mr. Saeed. I'm sorry, I screwed that one whole up. All up. Hulk Hogan and the Masked Superstar uh, went to a double disqualification where Ricky Koshu and Masa Saito, the great Mr. Saito, good friend of Kent Patera. Uh, June 12th, Toyoshi, Japan. Hulk Hogan, Adonis, and Murdoch over Inoki, Fujinami, and Fujiwara. June 13th, 
Yokosoku, Japan, Hulk Hogan, Adrian Donis, Mass Superstar, over Saito, Haigo, Hamaguchi, and Riki Choshu. Uh, June 14th in Tokyo. Here's the big match. IWGP title, the annual uh, defense of the championship. Antonio Noki over IWGP champ Hulk Hogan to win the title at 22 minutes and 40 seconds by countout. I guess countouts, the titles change over there. Uh, the bout was deemed a double DQ twice, but uh, it was ordered to restart the match both times. Then back over into the States, June 16th in Hollywood, Florida. Mr. Hollywood himself, Hulk Hogan, over Big John Studd by disqualification. And finally, our big show tonight, June 17th, the Met Center, Minneapolis. Uh, this show aired on World Pro Wrestling Television in Japan. Hulk Hogan goes over Dr. D. David Schultz. We'll extensively uh, explain that match down the line here on the show. Hulk Hogan arrived in the building with your real world champ t-shirt. Obviously uh, uh, a play on Vern Gagne and the AWA. And we'll get to all that. Put that in your back pocket and hold on to it. Back pocket. Uh, and we're going to end this out by me just explaining where this uh, took place. World Pro Wrestling ran most of the matches on this card. And uh, that was a show only aired in Japan from 1984 to 1987. And most of the matches, all of the matches, I'm sorry, were from the United States, but most of them were exclusive to this Japanese TV show. I watched some of the matches like watching a Godzilla movie, but it's better than not having it at all, right? Sure. And there's your road report for the Immortal One, Hulk Hogan, June 1984. Good job, Dave. Good job, Dave. Now, this is what we got to do because we got business here. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. we got to read the news from June of 1984. We'll do that off the top. Then June 17th, 1984 at the Met Center, uh, the big show highlighted by, of course, Hogan versus Dr. Death. We're going to talk about the infamous 2020 piece and also the Dark Side of the Ring episode from last year uh, about it. So that's our business. That's what we got to do. You ready, Dave? Ready to rock. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Used to be tag team partner of Eddie Mansfield, a wrestler who's just told us how every match is fake. I ask Schultz questions that I assume all wrestlers have been asked dozens of times. What? Is this a good business? Yeah, it's a good business. I wouldn't be in it if it wasn't. Why is it a good business? Because only the tough survive. That's the reason you ain't in it. And this punk holding the camera reading he ain't in it. Reading these rednecks out here ain't in it because it's a tough business. That's terrific. Wait, is that all you got? I'll ask you the standard question. You know? Standard question. I think this is fake. You think it's fake? What's that? Is that fake? Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap, huh? You think it's fake? You come from that damn Huh? podcast dave roland steve bennett buffalo new jersey we're back for the third segment of the night and that means only one thing dave it means it's time to read the news let's do it all right june 1st 1984 
And this is a big story right out of the gates. KWKAM in St. Louis, Missouri. Well, doggone it, they changed their call letters to KGLD. I was waiting for that to come up in the news. Damn. Yep. Uh, Netherlands on June 1st. The Luber's government gives 48 sites for cruise missiles. The June. Netherlands Antilles for Tibiasi making his spring residence. Yep. Uh, June 2nd. Welcome to the Fun Zone, hope hosted by Dr. Demento, airs on NBC TV. You ever watch Welcome to the Fun Zone? No, but I believe it aired straight from the outer reaches of your mind. Oh, interesting. Never seen it Dr. myself. Damien Demento. Uh, June 2nd, actress Jill Ireland has a radical mastectomy. Uh, I was always a big fan of her daughter, Kathy Ireland. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope she, uh, they still had her be able to give birth to Kathy Ireland. Yeah. Uh, June 3rd, Wiz closes at the Lunt Fontaine Theater in New York after only 13 performances. It wouldn't be the news without a theater closing. Uh, I thought you were talking about the store. I'm like, 1984, I was I bought tickets to Ticketmaster there uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Wiz, I, I do remember, though, that um, it was like a little, the, the Wizard of Oz with a little more of a uh, urban kick to it. Yeah, didn't Is that what that was? Michael Jackson, I think, was in a version of it. Yeah, I think they did it at, at my grammar school. They had obviously it wasn't the real people. But, oh, was you know, it? I remember. I, I guess not. I'm Jay. Um, wasn't at your school? Oh no, I mean, I don't think he was at these playhouses either. Um, but yeah, uh, it was a big thing for quite a few years there. June fourth, Sayonara. June fourth at the U.S. Open Golf, 1960 champion Arnold Palmer. Uh, fails to qualify for the championship for the first time in 32 years. This is a big one. Same day, Born in the USA, the seventh studio album by Bruce Springsteen is released. Much better work than his 2021 podcast uh, with former President Barack Obama, but <laughs> one of the you know one of the iconic albums of the 80s. And be careful, I'm not going to let you trash uh, well, Bruce Springsteen, gonna... the musician. You're not uh, going to get it this week. I absolutely love that album. I had I had it on vinyl as a kid. I, you know, I didn't really want to stare at his crotch and his butt on the cover, but uh, <laughs> I guess I did it anyway, and just just love everything about that uh, that record. Big day on June fourth. DNA is successfully cloned from an extinct extinct animal. Uh, the Major League Baseball and it made it made a it made a hawk after the after the DNA was taken out. Major League. But that was a bad joke. Sorry. Major League Baseball as their draft. And the New York Mets have the first overall pick, and they blow it. Uh, they take high school outfielder Sean Abner, uh, who I've never heard of, so he was a bust. Uh, but the good news is is they're two years away from a championship either way. A bust just like my Road Warriors joke. Keep them coming. <laughs> uh, June 6th, uh, video game Tetris is released in the Soviet Union. Fuck Tetris in the Soviet Union is my fourth Hollywood Dave's fourth birthday. June 6, 1984. But Tetris is still cool, especially on Game Boy. A happy, happy birthday to Hollywood Dave. I still three for a couple more months here. For a couple months. A couple months. Uh, Big news on uh, January 8th. A big one again. Ghostbusters, an American supernatural comedy film directed and produced by Ivan Reitman, starring Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, is released. Legendary film. Paula loves it. It's... Still holds up to this day. Uh, one of the great, one of the great films. It was the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater, my friend. 
And uh, we're going to get into the second movie. And I was going to say, you had a tough choice that day because it was, do you go see Ghostbusters or do you go see the Gremlins, an American comedy horror film release? Yeah, Ghostbusters. My parents say that, yeah, I just had turned four. You know I mean? That's still early four and late four is a different kind of kid. I guess. I don't know. I don't have kids. You tell me. But I, I don't know. That sounds right. It's a big and year I was of growth. A, yeah. Yeah. I was a er, very early four. And they said, I love Slimer. Like, I was going crazy. But I think when, uh, what do you call them? Gargoyles. There's a bear in the apartment. Whatever that thing is. Hatches. You got scared uh, to death of that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. My dad says I made made them leave. My mom says otherwise. My dad's probably telling the truth. So, who knows? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Then uh, Gremlins, we'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, well, I might as well say it now. Definitely second movie. I went to Uncle, with Uncle Tito and Aunt Tita. That, I handled that a little better. That We went to see that up in, by the Willowbrook Mall in Wayne. I'll never forget. This is what stands out the most. They gave like gave us like those sticker books, booklets on the way out. And I had it for a long time. I still had it. Where you put like gremlin stickers in it. They were really cool. They are real glossy. You remember those books, right? Sure. We were sure. kids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so J- that's that. June 9th, Cindy Lauper gets her first U.S. number one hit with... Time after time. Time after time. Captain yep. Louis Albano was in that video as well. He wrote the lyrics to that, I believe. Well, yeah. Well, everybody knows that. Uh, June 9th, also the 116th running of the Belmont in New York. There you go. Uh, and Swale wins. Congratulations. Also the 9th, a busy day. Donald Duck's 50th birthday celebrated at Disneyland. Well, Donald Duck's 50. What would that make Donald Duck now? 85? 86? Well, four add forty years to it, right? Yeah. Plus, uh, add forty years and then subtract a couple, three. Email email us a Donald Duck's age now today. Eighty seven. <laughs> He'll turn eighty seven this year. Yeah. Well, we got a couple of years left of Donald Duck. Hopefully, before he goes on the uh, Duck Heaven. Uh, June... Or gets can or gets canceled. One or the other. <laughs> yep. June 9th, uh, the French Open, uh, women's tennis, a heavyweight battle. Uh, Eat Mar- your heart out, Andre Agassi. Yep, Martina Narvatilova beats Chris Evert six three six one, and is the second woman in the Open era to hold all four Grand Slam titles at once. The Tiger Slam. She's the Pedro Morales of tennis. Yep, absolutely. June tenth, the next day, another '80s tennis heavyweight battle. Czech star Ivan Lendl wins his first career. Grand Tam Slam title beating John McEnroe, three six two six six four seven five seven five in a classic, one of the great matches in the history of the French Open, a battle there. Uh, June eleventh, the U.S. Supreme Court declares illegally obtained evidence may be admitted at trial if it could be proved that it would have been discovered legally. Uh, interesting. Uh, June 11th, also, Michael Larson is shown winning a record $110,000 on the American TV game show, Press Your Luck. Uh, he, hacked, oh. he hacked the game. He memorized the patterns and uh, took it for big money. That's a big story. I, I remember yep. either I remember hearing about that or I've heard a podcast on that um, in the past few years. That's very interesting, uh, memorizing the patterns like that. must have been a really bright guy or, or just... You know, some people are just really good with numbers and stuff. And, you know, I think I think he should have been able to keep the money. Did he? 
I don't what know if he that? kept the money. I'm not sure, but I I definitely know it was a big deal. You know, it's kind of like I don't want to say scandal because I don't know that he was cheating necessarily. That's not, I don't think that's cheating. Yeah, I, I, I like to memorize things and shit like that. Like, yeah. what the hell? He did it. And then there was a there's a documentary also a few years ago about a guy who figured out the prices on the prices right and how that they were tracked and created. That's a really cool documentary. They should get the the, the money because it's too too fucking bad. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's not like they're there with something written down or like uh, Mike Seaver with the the notes on his behind his on the back of his sneakers. Nothing like that. You know what I mean? So it's all good. I was gonna look up the uh, title of that documentary, the Price Is Right documentary, but I can't find it. As they say, put it uh, in your back back pocket. All right, on June twelfth, the fourth birthday of my wife, fifteen years before I would. Snatch her Happy virginity birthday. away from her. Oh uh, my goodness. It's the 30- That's a little TMI 24 inch podcast. The 38th NBA championship, the Boston Celtics beat the LA Lakers four games to three uh, to win the championship in the uh, the number one rivalry in basketball in the 80s Celtics and Lakers. That'd be and, Larry Bird. Yep. And, the, uh, the Lakers would win in 84. Or 85, and then the Celtics would win in 86, but not against the Lakers because the Lakers lost to Houston, which really pisses off Celtics fans. They feel like they had the best team, and they feel like the Lakers should have came and got their ass whooping. And I know some of the, the people, Larry Bird on one side yep. and Magic Johnson on the other. You got it. You're all over it. Right. Another well, well, some big Nothing written on my sneakers either. I knew that. Some big moments in sports in June of 84. Holy shit. There you go. June 15th, the Meritson Boxer. Uh, Thomas Hearns retains. Hitman. Yep, retains the middleweight title with a two-round KO of Duran, Robert Roberto Duran, at Caesar's Palace in Vegas. Now, if you have not seen the first round of this boxing match, stop what you're doing right now and go watch this. These, okay, I'll call you. I'll we'll finish this tomorrow. Except for Dave, these. Two, oh, oh, okay. These two guys. Beat the shit out of each other. It's shocking uh, to see how just they're like, forget the training, you know, forget whatever. We're going. All right, June 17th, John Turner succeeds Pierre Trudeau as Prime Minister of Canada. And, of course, Pierre's son, unfortunately, is currently the Prime Minister of Canada now. Stu Hart uh, was behind on his campaign, I believe. He was. Stu was uh, big on the campaign trail for him. Especially out in Calgary. Helped him carry uh, carry the Providence there. Right through the snow. Uh, June 18th, the U.S. Men's Open Golf at Wingfoot. Uh, Fuzzy Zeller beats Greg Norman of Australia by eight strokes in a Monday 18-hole playoff. All right. My Wingfoot sounds God. like a K- Kmart version sneakers or something. Wingfoot. It's a famous golf course. But, my God, nothing is happening without... It being iconic, it feels like. You yeah, have, it's just... you have the five set masterpiece in the French Open, seven games of the NBA Finals, a whole day playoff in the U.S. Open golf, like oh, those movies, goodness. music. The '84 was really like it's one of those like like I think we've said this before. It's like the beginning of the '80s, kind of like '81 still the '70s. Yeah, '84 is like the, yeah, and '84 is that that year where the book Glory Days is coming out by John Wertheim, that book I've mentioned on here already once, I think. And Glory Days uh, by your boss, yeah, like the, we just talked about. Bruce. All right, what else do we got? Let's see. Oh, this is big for Dave. June 20th, 
Amber uh, Vangley, Kavangley of Minnesota is crowned America's junior miss. Dave's big on the junior misses. Junior, don't say that, please. Now nowadays, especially on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the air, I am not big on a junior anything. June twenty second, Richard Branson's Virginia Atlantic Airways commences operations with flights from Gatwick, Gatwick to Newark. Dave was often on that flight. I um, was. Yeah, you head over I, to the airport and just go to Gatwick. I don't even eat junior cheeseburgers. June twenty fourth, Joe Morgan, baseball player, Hall of Famer, broadcaster. Sets a home run mark for the sec for second baseman. How many home runs do you think it took? Oh, here we go. How many home runs do you think it took for Joe Morgan to become the all-time home run leader for second baseman in 1984? Oh, Jesus. How uh, many, Dave? How many home runs did it take to break that record? 20. All time. You don't think there was a second baseman in 1984? Who had more than 20 home runs? I have no idea. All right. Uh, fi- hold, 40. On, hold on. Hold on. Slow your roll here. Slow your roll. Let's let's think about this logically. All right. How many home runs approximately do you think is the number of all-time home runs for a player in Major League Baseball? I have no idea. You have no idea how many home runs Barry Bonds has hit as the number one. You don't have any no. idea how many Hank Aaron hit or how many... Babe Ruth hit when Hank Aaron broke it. You have no clue about that. Not a clue in the world. All right. Well, it's over 700. Holy shit. So for a second baseman. So for for one year, a second baseman. No, he this he set the career home run mark for second baseman. Oh, so not just for 84. No. You know I'm saying. Oh, that's what I thought you said. I still wouldn't have known, but that's what I, that's what I thought you said. All right. So how many okay, home so... runs did it take for Joe Morgan to become the all-time home run leader for second baseman in 1984? This has been broke, you know, by now, but. Uh, 300. Not that bad. 265. I think you should give that to me, considering. I mean, it's better than 20. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mistook the question, but again, I still have no idea. Do you need to explain it to me? Now, now I'm on the mark a little better. Yeah, Barry Bonds. Thank you for that. Barry Bonds has 762 home runs, but many people say to them, Hank Aaron at 755 is the mark because they think Bonds cheated. Um, and Babe Ruth had yeah, seven, 714. Um, A-Rod, 696. The active leader in home runs is a guy I'm sure you've heard of, Albert Pujols, uh, who has 662. I used to have his jersey, but it got stolen. See, I knew it. I knew you knew yeah. it. All right. An album release and a big one. June 25th. Purple Rain by Prince is released. Right, never big. I mean, I respect the hell out of him, but same. You know, I'm a huge. I'm a huge '80s guy. Same. But for some reason, nothing really grabbed me. I love his. I love his TNT appearance. Jesse the Body Ventura got Prince on there, to the dismay of what Vince McMahon might want to tell you. And a you big, know, and a big, big Minnesota guy, as we talked. Big Minnesota, Minnesota guy. Yeah. So I mean, Jesse became the governor. So how could you tell us just because he showed up in a small car? And with no bodyguards, that that was not the real prince. June 26th, Barbara Streisand records, Here We Are at Last. Big big Barbara fan, right, Dave? Oh, boy. No comment. June 27th, the daytime Emmys, a sad day for Susan Lucci as she loses for 
the fifth time. It was a long time running joke. I think she got to eight losses before she finally won. And what was that for? You know, whatever. Daytime Emmy for Best Actress, I guess, right? Those two shows, The Young and The Restless? Both of them. Uh, and, both of them. Like, yeah. Are you going to get into country music and then western music as well? Like two of my favorites. June 27th, the Supreme Court <laughs> ends the NCAA monopoly on college football telecasts. Big deal there. June 29th, Oral Hershiser begins a string of making every scheduled start until 1990. That is sick. Speaking of playing every day, June 29th, Pete Rose plays in a record 3,309th game. Not in a row necessarily for Pete. Now banned How by about baseball. It? How about it? He surpasses Carl Yastrzemski uh, for that award. What else? Uh, June 30th, um, Pierre Trudeau officially steps down as Prime Minister of Canada after serving two separate terms for a total of 15 years. Do we have that wrong up here? Oh, no, we had it right. No, that's when Stu Hart turned on him. Stu Hart pulled the chair? He brought, him down, he brought, him, down the dun- so, brought uh, him down the dungeon, and then he, he gave up his... So Prime Minister. Let's try to follow this. June 17th, John Turner succeeds Pierre Trudeau as Prime Minister of Canada. And then, at the end of the month, uh, he officially steps down as Prime Minister after serving. Maybe that means like how kind of how our, our president is in November, the election, and then it ends in January, and they have to step down. It must, Concede. Right? Concede. It must. Like, probably what it means is so many words. June 15th, birthday. We got a couple birthdays here. June 15th, Tim Lincecum, uh, baseball pitcher. June 16th, Rick Nash, uh, the hockey player. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Who else was born? Fellow Geminis. Chloe Kardashian. Dave's favorite Kardashian is born. Is Ju- that my favorite June. Kardashian? I mean, that's what you told me earlier. That's yeah. the one that, uh, no, I think I like, uh, well, probably. Courtney is it Courtney? There's Courtney's the There's one, one more that's really hot. Yeah, Courtney's kind of shorter. Ky- Kylie, oh, those like, are not Kardashians though. Those are uh, Jenners. But but yeah, and but the one you mentioned is OJ Simpson's daughter, I believe. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh some famous deaths as well. Um but we don't have time for any more of this. That's it for the news. Rest in peace to whoever the fuck you are. That's it for the news, June of 1984. All right, Dave. All right. June 17th, 1984, we are at the Met Center, and there's an article out there called Crossing Enemy Lines that you had uh, sent me. And there's a little bit of interesting, there's an interesting thing to note in here, I thought. So, a few weeks before this show, uh, the AWA ran a show in the same building. And they drew 8,000 that night. Uh, to the show, and it was headlined between Bockwinkle, the champion, that they didn't want to turn the belt over to Hulk, against the challenger, the crusher. So 800 fans a week prior to the WWF event, and this night... Wait, 8,000. What did I say? You 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 mean eight, eight, you said 8,000 the first time, then you said 800. But oh, just that'd so be a people, bad crowd. No, it's Just 8, in case 000. the people don't know, the eight, people listening. 8K, yeah. 8K. The following week, the WWF came to the same arena, bringing Hulk, who arrived at the venue in a brand new Lincoln Continental vehicle. 
Hogan came out of the car and greeted fans outside to see him with the title. He was also wearing a custom-made T-shirt that read, Your Real World's Champion, in the front. And the love affair continues on the back. They should have ran this in 91 when, when you're going to do the show with the place to be, guys. You should bring this up, that the Hulk was the first with that motto, Your Real World Champion. Yep. Woo! The, the shirt was a direct shot at Vern, Bachwinkle, and the AWA in general. So... um. That that's that. So let's get into the show itself. It's at the Met Center, and the Met Center is in oh a city Minneapolis. That, yeah, no, it's not. See, and as a hockey fan, a young hockey fan, this always confused me because the Minnesota North Stars played there. You know, so I was always confused why they said it stood in Bloomington, Minnesota. That's correct. You yes. know, which is just a suburb of Minnesota. Like Rosemont Horizon right. in Chicago, same or, shit. Or like in Buffalo, our football stadium is in Orchard Park, you know, not Buffalo proper. Well, of course, how could we not mention right down the street from me, the Meadowlands is where the New York uh, Giants and Jets play. Right, not or in New, New Jersey. York City, right. So uh, the Met Center was considered one of the finest arenas in the NHL for many years. Among NHL players, it was known for fast ice and good lighting. Um, so what a place, right? It held 16,000 for basketball, uh, 15,000 for ice hockey. Uh, it was built in October of 1966 and it opened October 21st, 1967. It closed April 13th, 1993. It cost $5.8 million to make or $44.5 million in 2019 dollars. Uh, it was the home, like I said, to the North Stars, the Minnesota Muskies of the AWA, and then a bunch of other teams and lesser leagues as well. Notable events, the 25th National Hockey League All-Star Game, the 81 and 91 Stanley Cup Finals, four Grateful Dead concerts. Michael Jackson performed three consecutive sold-out shows in front of 50,000 people at the Met Center during his bad world tour on May 4th to 6th, 1988. Elvis Presley performed a sold-out show on October 17, 1976, and again on November 5, 1971. Uh, Jimi Hendrix performed the longest version of his Red House on what a lineup, huh? November 1, 1968. And Janet Jackson filmed the music video for Black Cat on May 5, 1990. So certainly a legendary arena. I was so proud to tell you, I'm sure you knew already, I'm not saying I told you, but so proud to let you know that I knew the only NHL or hockey fatality happened at the Bloomington uh, Met Center. Rest in peace, of course, to the poor athlete uh, who gave yes. his life on the ice that night. Now, after the North Stars moved to Dallas in 1993 to become the Dallas Stars, the Met was demolished uh, in three controlled explosions. Uh, the imp the series of implosions was required after the initial detonation, which was intended to be the only one, failed spectacularly to bring the building down on live television. Um, meanwhile, uh, annual events were moved to the Target Center, uh, which is the arena where the Minnesota Wild um, Wild play. Uh, for several years after the arena was demolished, the property served as an overflow lot for the Mall of America. Uh, but then in 2004, an Ikea store opened on the west end of the property. 
and the new American Boulevard was rerouted through the east of the property. The cool. Ma- I know. remainder of the site is planned long-term to become the site of Mall of America Phase 2, of which IKEA would be the anchor store. So that's the kind of history of the building there. Yeah, I, I never knew that it was where the Mall of America was, which held the first uh, Monday Nitro. With Hulk Hogan took on Big Bubba Rogers. That's right. That's right. Big moment there. All right. Let's talk about the card. We'll go through the matches, what they had going on there. Um, the WWF filmed this, of course, and Gorilla Monsoon and Mean Gene were there on commentary. And the first match is B. Brian Blair pinned Jerry Valent with an abdominal stretch into a gentleman inside, Jerry Valent inside cradle. Now this is courtesy of the history of WWE.com. This information, of course, great site if you've ever tried it. Richard Land and the great Richard Land, the great Graham Cawthorn. I hope yep. I'm saying that last name correctly. Now, that these first two matches aired on All-American Wrestling, uh, one in July 22nd and the second July 8th of 84. Uh, the second match uh, was Mad Dog Vashon pinned Buddy Colt at 326 with the pile driver after the vow, bout. Uh, Vashon threw Colt to the floor and attacked him with a chair. Red Bastine was the guest referee for the bout. Red Bastine. And that yes, aired sir. on Wrestling's Biggest, Smallest, and Strangest, which is a Coliseum video. Good tape. What's your fa- you like uh, Buddy Colt? Are you a fan? Huge, Steve? huge Buddy Colt guy, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I almost had his LJN figure, but the last minute they dropped it off the line. That's where I started using the word buddy. It's kind of from Buddy Colt. Oh, there you yeah, go. you know, because I say, hey, buddy, you know, I, I do it in memory of Buddy Colt. Yeah, that's where they got the idea on Charles in Charge, the whole deal. Yep, really good. Really good guy. Uh, our next match, Big John Studd won a $50,000 18-man battle royal, last eliminating Tito Santana. Arriba. Nine seventeen. Other participants included Andre the Giant, who I thought won every battle royal. The uh, king of the battle royal. Rene Goulet, Mr. Fuji, uh, Dick Murdoch, and Adrian Adonis, who were the tag champions at the time. P. Brian Blair, Tiger Chung Lee. A whole bunch of guys are in there. Uh, and after the bout, Gene Oakland conducted a ringside interview with Stud and presented him with the check. Shortly after, Oakland conducted an interview with Andre, who challenged Stud to a match. And obviously, there'll be more to be said about those two guys. A lot more. And their feud going forward. Next, Mil Mascaris, no yob, no yob. <laughs> no yob, no yob, amigo. Uh, pinned Tiger Chung Lee at 530 with the crossbody off the top. Uh, Paul Orndorff defeated Tony Garia. Ivan Putsky defeated Alexis Smirnoff. Smirnoff. Via... Well, this, this... Count out. This is Screams 1984 WWF house show. Right. Names. Three, yeah. 327 after knocking Smirnoff to the floor with the Polish hammer. Polish hammer. Now, this next match aired on Georgia Championship Wrestling on 91584. And the WWF Intercontinental Champion Tito Santana and the Soul Man Rocky Johnson defeated WWF Tag Team Champions Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. At 10.04 in a non-title match when Johnson pinned Adonis with a splash after Murdoch accidentally backdropped his partner. Interesting match. And that is when, uh, for you listeners that might not be aware, uh, the WWF took over the NWA famous time slot on WTBS, Superstation TBS. 
Uh, they called it Black Saturday in July of 1984, and it lasted until uh, just right after WrestleMania won. So that's why uh, that match aired on uh, World Championship Wrestling on TBS. Another match that aired on TBS is this one. Jesse Ventura defeated Chris Curtis via submission with the back. Chris Curtis. At 414. He was the guy where uh, DiBiase, his very debut match as, as a million-dollar man, debut as a million-dollar man in WWF, he, DiBiase was supposed to face Chris Curtis, and DiBiase paid off another jobber to do his dirty work for him, and Chris Curtis gets the win yep. over uh, DiBiase's jobber. Just so funny. Here is your winner, Chris Curtis. What a great spot. Good stuff. Yeah, great Good spot stuff. there. Uh, TNT aired the next one, and it's a big one. Um. So I guess when they say TNT aired it, probably just bits and pieces of it. And then, of course, it aired on the tape, Hulkamania, and on World Pro Wrestling, which is Japanese TV, which aired. Which I expl- yeah. Right, and that aired, they aired a few different matches from the card. And it's WWF World Champion Hulk Hogan pitting David Schultz. Uh, and we're going to get into that in a second. Awesome match, bloodbath. All right, you ready? We're going to go through it. The way, it. The way we do. All right. Uh, Hulk comes out to the ring. He's got deep royal blue tights and boots on. He rips off the red Hulkamania shirt to reveal the shirt underneath, which is the one we talked about earlier, saying he's the real champion. Uh, the crowd is just going batshit for Hogan. Uh, I couldn't help but watch this and think, man, Vern, you fucked up, dude. Uh, because Hogan is just so over in the market for sure. I mean, it's only 11,000, but the way they filmed it, that side of the arena, just looks gigantic, the Met Center. Doesn't look like the Meadowlands or the Nassau Coliseum or buildings on the same scale. It looks weird, right? Like big weird. Yeah. Like good weird. Uh, uh. Mean Gene and Gorilla are on the mic, and a young Joey Morella is in the stripes. Looks like a baby that, in there. Amazing. Uh, yeah, they didn't start him in the garden or somewhere like that. They first, first at least TV. I'm sure he did matches in the Westchester, you know, County Center and stuff like that. But I don't believe that he was on TV at all. I, I'd have to check the All Star Wrestlings and Championships, but. If I, if I was asked right now without doing research, it's the first time I've seen him on television. How about you? Uh, yeah, first I I had to double check to make sure my eyes were deceiving yeah. because he looks so young, uh, for sure. So it's very early, one way or another. First, second, third, it's early. Uh, and Doctor D's in a black singlet. He looks like a skinny uh, King Kong bunny in there, and he's choking Hulk with the tape to start off, and he does it a few times before giving it up to Joey M, who throws it outside the ring. Uh, Shulk. Schultz cracks Hulk to the outside and then hits him with a chair, and Hulk is gushing blood early. Uh, and Monsoon says that Hulk is likely to have a concussion. Uh, Schultz, Schultz finally lets Hulk get back in the ring and just lays the boots to him. Uh, Gene says David D is 40 miles of a bad road. Uh, Sh- Schultz, Schultz drops the elbow, uh, but Hulk kicks out at two and then Hulk's up. Crowd's going mental as Hulk lifts Dr. D up by the throat. Kind of like how Steamboat did to Savage at WrestleMania 3. Uh, Hulk has uh, blood all into his hair. It looks awesome. And uh, he pulls Schultz up after a two count. Uh, Hogan then slams, drops the leg, and again he pulls Schultz up at the two count. Uh, mean Gene and, and Gorilla are questioning the whether it's smart to not get the cardinal pinfall. Mis- cardinal mistake in my book, Steve. Yep. On the outside, uh, Hulk grabs David D, puts him on his shoulder, and rams him into the post. And now Dr. D is bloody. Uh, they're both gushing all over the place. Uh, back in the ring, and D catches Hogan out of the corner with a clothesline, turns the tables a little bit. 
Uh, D goes off the top ropes, but he misses an elbow drop. Uh, Hogan with a stiff clothesline for the one, two, three at, what was the time? I don't have a time. Why don't we have a time? We had a time for all the other matches. No time on that one. That's Richard Land. Get on that, buddy. We need a time for this match. Uh, I'd guess maybe about 12 minutes, 13. Yeah, I'd say about 12 minutes, too. Yeah. Um, David D, though, is not happy, and he starts whipping Hulk with the belt, puts it on. Hulk crawls his way over to D, grabs him by the belt, takes the belt, knocks him out of the ring, and finally Mean Gene gets in the ring, announced Hulk as the winner, and the champ gets a huge pop and a huge success. The writing is on the wall. Uh, wrestling in Minnesota is no longer going to go through Vern and Nick. It's going to go through Hulk and the WWF for sure. I think that's the match that was sound, was set. I'll give it three and a half stars on our Hulk Hogan scale. Uh, good heat and a uh, good crowd and, an, and a good match. Three and a half feels about right for this one. What say you, Dave? I love everything about this match. It was called the Minnesota Massacre. And uh, it was dubbed that. I don't know if it was dubbed that because they knew they were going to get juice and it was going to be a bloodbath of a match. Or was it the massacre of Vern Gagne? What do you think? Right? So He's uh, certainly the bloodiest in the end. I mean, the blood is all. There you go. There you go. Uh, I love the match. Uh, Everything about it. I love Hulk being your real world champion. didn't see any of that stuff on the Coliseum video. So over all the years, I never knew that, you know, until uh, more recently. That they did all that because the Coliseum video is edited, of course. But, uh, God, like the guys, uh, Scott and Justin on The Place to Be, our friends over there, like they always say that 84 Hulk Hogan and, and leaking into 85 and even into 86 is a different kind of match. He's a brawler. He does all kind of different stuff. He kind of got into a formula after WrestleMania three, And this match is one of those matches where you, I saw Hulk do a fist drop in this match. I've never seen him do a fist drop. I can't think ever. Before, I mean, I could be mistaken, but it's not a lot. Like a Ted, not he didn't roll like Ted DiBiase with the fist drop, but it was almost like a Lawler one. Uh, him getting juice on the floor, you saw him put it back into his tights, but that's okay. Captain Lou uh, would have something different. He Captain Lou just does it right out in the open. Uh, you know, um, Schultz hit him with the uh, chair on the outside, did a number on him, jumped him before the bell. Before that, then when Hulk made his comeback, he brought Schultz on the outside, ramming him into the post. Just awesome stuff, man. Fast pace for a, you know for a holster match for a three hundred pounder, and uh, Schultz just a total badass of a wrestler. Believable, and I'm sure you know we, neither of us are watching in real time, but I'm sure it was very believable that Schultz could beat him right there then and there for that title. Uh, I'm going, um, I'm going high, man. I oh, this match always stood out to me on the Hulkamania team, always has. So I'm going high for personal reasons for it always standing. It felt different than the stud match on a tape felt different than the Greg Valentine match. On and I think that's one, the crowd, right? I mean, that's the... the, the something, something about it. Yeah. Even, like, there's a slow motion of Schultz's real cool elbow he does, and you can only hear Mean Gene saying something, and it's just weird. It's just very memorable, like, different. So I'm going four and a quarter. Okay, wow. Yeah. Really high. Good. All right, good match. Good Good stuff. Now, this is, 18, this is 1984, June of 84, which means we're not that far away from WrestleMania. One. Uh, But who's not there? Well, Dr. D, why not? Well, some say it's because of an altercation with Mr. T. We're going to talk about that. Others say, yeah, it was that. But really, the end of the the line for him was what happened on December 28th, 1984. And they're both right. Yep. And that's a 2020 is recording 
uh, for a piece that John Stussel is going to do on 2020. And I have notes, and we're going to go through uh, the uh, the segment, which was about 17 minutes long. So if you ever watch 2020, you know they do two or three of these a show. And it was just one of those things on the show. Uh, we start off uh, with Hugh Downs uh, sending us to the video, and John Stossel says, what is pro wrestling really all about? Uh, he's with Hulk Hogan, and they're walking through Manhattan, and there's a big crowd. And Stossel says, I've never, never had as big of a crowd walking with a, a subject before, but also never had anyone walking through in a muscle shirt in the <laughs> <of> winter. <laughs> uh, they show the footage of Hulk winning the belt over Sheik at MSG. Uh, and they give the backstory of Hulk, saying he's just a soft-spoken guy off-screen, uh, sort of making the point that this isn't what he really is on the screen. Uh, Stossel says he was a high school wrestler. That's wrestling, he says. Uh, he pulls some fans who mostly say it's fake, but some don't. They think it's real, and this pisses Stossel off. Uh, Iron Sheik is in the back. He says, if you want to know if it's fake, come into the ring with me, baby. He'll show you. Uh, next, they go to surprise, a surprise. He got got away with that one unscathed. He's lucky. Yep. Next, they go to a real low down jabroni named Eddie Mansfield, and he's a former baseball player turned wrestler, uh, who says that wrestling is not real and says that the promoters give the outcomes. Uh, Stossel gets in the ring with Mansfield. wasn't man enough to do it with the Sheik, but he will with Eddie Mansfield, uh, and he shows him a dozen moves or so. Uh, next, they got another jabroni, Jim Wilson, who is a Georgia football player. Uh, and he also says wrestling is fixed. Uh, and then they kind of bring up, which is maybe the one real, um, you know, the one real, re- real kind of exposure of this. And that is that the blood is real and that promoters say that red turns to green. Well, what, do you, what do you mean? It's ketchup. Come on. <laughs> and they show the blade uh, and how they do it. Uh, Mansfield goes through the whole thing. Uh, Vince McMahon denies knowing anything about blading or fixing matches. Uh, they show uh, a match of with Wyndham squashing Fuji uh, to make a point that he heard, Stossel heard McMahon say, you don't have much time for this next match, and they get the whole thing in in 24 seconds. Uh, they sit down with uh, McMahon, who says, look, it's a unique category of sports. Uh, Mansfield says the promoters are ruthless and that he's been blacklisted. Uh, many wrestlers, he say, um, have been blacklisted and that that kind of business is prominent in wrestling. Uh, Jim Wilson says he was blackballed for not sleeping with a homosexual promoter. I knew that was coming. Uh, and Gunkel, a promoter from Georgia, speaks on blackballing and says, man, it's even above the promoters. She's blackballed for whatever reason. Uh, Dick Lane is a Georgia legislator, and he's looking into all this. Uh, McMahon says it's sour grapes and that it wouldn't happen in the WWF. Um, now, they take another turn. Stossel has spoken to psychologists who say that this kind of stuff encourages violence. Um, David Schultz. I can't argue that. <laughs> David, all right. David Schultz says it's a tough business, and he cracks Stossel in each ear. Really, the cheek, but Stossel's going to say it's the ear. Uh, that's the end of the report. And Stossel, Standard question. Stossel does a sit-down with Barbara Walters, where he says that the doctor says he has a permanent injury. Uh, Barb says it's an amazing piece, and she's just sorry that it got real, and she hopes uh, that he gets well soon. Now, without getting into any of the dark side of the ring stuff, what about just the 
piece itself, Dave. What are your thoughts? Did they reveal anything? Now we're gonna learn that this kind of went over like, like a, like a nothing. You know, like it didn't change anything for the business. The business grows to heights it's never seen before after this. So yeah, not necessarily all that damaging in the end. But what do you think of the uh, of the twenty twenty piece? Yeah. Well, what he's trying to do, he he, he does stories of people that are shystering people out of money. This and that, pulling the wool over your eyes. This is a different kind of pulling the wool wool over your eyes. These, obviously, this guy's a smart man. This John Stossel. These guys are out there putting the show on. People are paying, and they're put. They're doing something. They deserve to be get paid, no matter if its outcome is predetermined or not. So Stossel had an axe to grind here. Yeah, because he he was one of those people. I was a collegiate wrestler. Right. I was He's not going that. after he the didn't Harlem like Globetrotters. He's not going after. Yeah. The- or magician, you could, he people coming out in the garden like not hillbilly looking people like this regular looking mother woman. You know, you could tell she wasn't no idiot. Just think this is real. Oh yeah, it's real. You come out of a magician show, you're pumped up, you're excited. You think that what he did was real? Yeah, yeah. You you, you but deep down you know it's not. He cut but that woman in half. In he cut that woman yeah, in half. Yeah, yeah. Or like, like a regular mother. She like I said, like come I on. said, the Globetrotters. That's a sport, right? Yeah, a basketball game that. Yeah, the outcome there is not real. The generals didn't just lose all those games because the Globetrotters were better, and right? They paid they paid their tickets just like wrestling. Right. It's Give just me a, a break. Show. I yeah. mean, it, it, yeah, that that that's not a shyster thing. And the way he, he was smug, he was. You know, I, if I'm not for someone just punching somebody for no reason, you know, the way he went about it, though, I, you know, I got to say he deserved it. I mean, come on. And then the only antidote for these lifelong injuries he had is money. Yep. That's the antidote, and he even admitted that, my brother. Yep, and we'll get into so, that now because years later, uh, a really well-done wrestling show, although it's a hard watch, um, I definitely don't re- recommend binge-watching it because there's not many happy endings in these shows, but it's a new show called Dark Side of the Ring. It's on Vice. Ooh, I can, I, I can binge-watch them easily. Yeah, well, yeah. they're tough. They're tough to watch, some of them more than others, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but they're on Vice. They got two seasons in, and they're working on a third season. And I got some good notes on this show as well because they did a whole episode on Doctor D and uh, and this incident. So they start off, and they show Doctor D, and he talks about his training in wrestling. Jim Cornette is a talking head here, and he stresses that you never break kayfabe, and Schultz makes that point as as well. Um, Doctor D says he was stiff. Um, especially with Hulk. Uh, that was what he did. He made it tough on guys, the way guys before him made it tough on him. He says that Dave and Hulk are friends. Uh, Hulk joined the WWF and then hired Dave. Uh, they showed Dave on TNT in a segment that resulted in a warrant for his arrest. Uh, Amazing. But, but Dave says, look at they weren't my kids. It wasn't my wife. They weren't my guns. It wasn't my house. Uh, but I recommend anybody yeah, to check go back out. and find this and watch this segment. It's awesome. Uh, next, they introduce Stossel, and he describes his agenda, just as Dave did before, that he was going to expose wrestling, uh, that these no-good you know, wrestling people were putting a ruse up, and Stossel couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, that's the end of the first segment. Then they come back from commercial, and it's Eddie Mansfield. This guy, he's introduced, and he takes... Uh, no time to shit on wrestling. Does it right away. It says he was out for not holding back money. And, uh, you know, he sells out the business. He says that he did it all for the boys, though. He he knew he had to be done. In 1985, yeah. doing that. If he 
was in a wrestling arena working for any any territory for five minutes at that time, early eighties, mid eight. He's done. He must. He must have had something ready to do to do afterwards. Because you know you're not getting bookings anywhere. Maybe nowadays with all the marks and everything, come back and do a convention because of this, not because of his wrestling career. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And uh, they go over the 2020 piece, and Cornette makes the point I did that. You know, if anything was damaging, maybe it was the expose, exposing blading. Uh, but yeah, maybe not. Uh, Mansfield said he did it all for it the act, boys. The, the blading actually catches. All the pro wrestling haters off off guard because, like I said before, oh, it's ketchup. They thought, uh, yeah, they like, thought it was like holy shit. They're they're doing that. That's that's almost what. Hey, Steve, you want to hit me in the nose real quick and make me bleed, or do I want to run a blade across my head? I'll pick the blade, but not by much. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Mansfield says he did it all for the boys and for insurance because they didn't take care of the promoters. Didn't take care of the boys. Boys didn't have health insurance. Uh, Cornette says he's full of shit. Uh. This kind of all sets up the Schultz versus Stossel um, showdown. Uh, Vince told Stossel or told Schultz to stay in character and sent him to Stossel. That's Schultz's story. He says he did what Vince McMahon told him to do. And he says the character David Schultz would smack anyone who came up to him and uh, asked him if wrestling was fake. Um, they come back from commercial again, and Mansfield says that he warned Stossel about Schultz. I find that hard to believe, but he says that he had put that specific warning out there. Um, Schultz thought it was no big deal. Uh, he knew that he had footage, but you know he just thought, hey, I did what Vince told me to do. He went in the ring, had his match. When he comes back, he finds out it's more. Uh, Vince tells him, you know, hey, get out of here. Go back to the hotel. They're causing a big deal. They send him over to uh, Japan, and the thought is, you know, everything's just going to calm down in Japan uh, while you're over there. Um, the segment airs eight weeks later, uh, and there's a lot of heat on Mansfield. Nobody's really happy with him. Uh, like I said, Schultz is in Japan hoping things die down. Um, and in Japan, they want him right away to hit a reporter. And he says, the only way I'll hit a reporter is you put in writing that you want me to hit this reporter. That's I love it. That's so yeah. wrestling, yeah. right? A gimmick. Yeah, gotta love it. Uh, Even in Japan, Stossel says he's got injuries in his ears that are so bad it affects his parenting. Yep, that's right. He's got a little girl, and when she cries, it hurts his ears, so he can't even uh, can't even change her diapers. What? He sues, but not Doctor D. He sues Vince because Vince has got the money, right? There you go. Uh, Vince asks Schultz to come in and sign a paper and take the blame. And he won't do it. And he insists that was his downfall. Uh, not anything that had to do with T, but that he wouldn't sign a paper taking the blame. Uh, and they were probably waiting for an out now. Like, all right, he, yep. did, he did that with T, or even though it probably wasn't that big a deal, so boom, you're out. Like Stas- when, a, you know, Stas- you look for something. Stasel says, in the end, we settled for 280 k And believe it or not, the pain went away when he got his check. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, they come back from commercial and they talk about Mr. T and how he's a big part of wrestling and him and Hogan are emerging as part of WrestleMania 1. But Dr. D wants to know where's his part? What's he going to be doing at WrestleMania? And he's mad about Mr. T. He doesn't think it's right that Mr. T should get a spot and make that money. That should be wrestlers. Apparently, uh, David Schultz, it's rumored that he actually came up with the name WrestleMania. A lot of people think it was Howard Finkel, but Schultz says it was him. And he was supposed to 
you know, apparently be Piper's partner, not Orndorff, in, in the main event. That was uh, the plan from the beginning before all this shit went down. Now, Schultz denies having a f- physical altercation with Mr. T. He says that he went out to watch the match because he had a friend in the crowd and that Chief J. Strongbull fired him backstage and then called the cops and said he was dangerous and the cops hauled him out of there. Now, Vince McMahon confirms that he was fired a couple of days later um, when he says he gets with uh, Chief J, checks it over. David's lawyers send him a notice and Vince says, nope, you're fired. Don't come back. Now, Hulk Hogan said on the Steve Austin show um, that David slapped Mr. T. So, two. Yeah, much as I love the Hulkster, I mean, you could, not everybody has the greatest memory in the world. So, leave it at that. I don't believe Hulk was on the card that night, but I could be wrong. Um, now, Hulk, they, now they show Hulk has a history in this as well. A couple months after this, Hulk and T are promoting WrestleMania. And Hulk chokes out Richard Belzer, who is a comedian and a longtime uh, guest on the Howard Stern show. Um, and he gets choked out. And uh, Mr. T in the back right here, he's all right, brother. He just sleeping. He's just sleeping. He's yep. just sleeping. Love yep. it. Love it. Uh, Hulk and T felt bad, uh, but there's no punishment for Hogan. And uh, Vince McMahon paid money to make it all go away quietly. And the documentary is just kind of making the point, like, this is what happened when Dr. D did it. This is what happened when Hogan did it. Two different things. I'm a big Dr. D fan myself. I'm not, you know, I'm not just sticking up for Hogan, but Dr. D, you know, hit somebody with his hand. Hogan was applying a move on someone. Did he do it too hard? I don't know. But you, it's, you could easily get off with the accidental more so than Schultz's is not accidental by any means. Right. And certainly Hulk, like I said, him and T on the show, when they came back for commercial, they said they felt bad. They didn't mean it. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Dr. D, though, says Hulk turned on him and that the business blackballed him and that he quit wrestling to be the world's greatest bounty hunter. Um. Oh my God! That Steve, the stories with the bounty hunter when he when he went into one kid's house, uh, he did the kid did his last bump of coke, and he goes, "Oh, you're Doctor D. Davis Schultz. You beat up Geraldo Rivera," <laughs> and he pulls him out of there. Amazing stuff. Schultz became the most known and reliable bounty hunter in America. He says that being Doctor D helped him as a success because. People knew him, and they trusted him, and they let him in houses that maybe other bounty hunters couldn't get in. And the stories of his bounty hunting are like an action movie every day. Uh, Vince declares wrestling is an entertainment, not sports. And Dr. D's pissed because he says Vince exposed the whole business. Last segment of the show here, and they talk about Vince exposing the business to free themselves from the athletic commission. Uh, This makes our friend Mansfield feel really justified. And he said, kayfabe is crap. Who in the hell ever came up with that garbage? Uh, the state of New Jersey is at the center of this because it is in New Jersey uh, where they make this declaration. They go on to have uh, SummerSlam 97 there, which is the first pay-per-view there since SummerSlam 89. And this is all about athletic commissions and taxes and things like that. Uh, Manfield says that God will judge uh, Stossel. Not him. He's not God, so he can't judge Dossel or anyone else. Um, Schultz says today he's carting cotton around in a truck, so I don't know. Maybe his days as a uh, bounty hunter are over. I would think so at this age. Uh, McMahon wanted to be 
the Walt Disney of wrestling. That's Cornette who says that. Um, Stossel is annoyed a little bit because the second most watched video on YouTube is uh, is this video of the 2020 piece where he gets his head slapped. Uh, What's the first? I don't know. He just well, made a point to say it was the second. Yeah. Uh, the documentary asked him in closing, what would you say to David Schultz? He says three words. Fuck you, David. And uh, And it ends with uh, Schultz basically saying, look it, I don't care. I'm Dr. D. I'll always be Dr. D. And I did what I did. And that is uh, that is it. What do you think? Dark Side of the Ring. What do you do on this? I think that might be my favorite one because I always wanted more of, of David Schultz. Like I said, I like that match on the Hulkamania tape. We knew about the incident with Stossel. Then he went away. Never showed up in NWA or WCW. Never came back to WWF. But when I was doing research for this, I, I thought of a funny thing that uh, some of the listeners might, might enjoy. Um, when Jerry the King Lawler was bringing in in 1995 during his feud with Bret Hart, he's bringing in his own personal dentist, Dr. Isaac Yankum. And Lawler was talking about it on TV for weeks. Then finally they showed a clip of him in the dentist's office, and he turns around. And to me, I said, oh, shit, that's Dr. D. And I remember calling my friends up saying, hey, Dr. D's back. He's Lawler's personal dentist. But then when you know he debuted and got in the ring, I'm like, right, that guy's seven foot tall. That's not Dr. D. Huh. Ended up being King Glenn Jacobs. So yeah, I was always uh, you know enamored with Doctor D. I loved uh, the bounty hunter stories. He just seemed like the coolest dude around. He and he paved the way for guys like uh, well, he didn't pave the way for Bad News Brown, but Bad News Brown's character is kind of like Doctor D. And then of course the one and only Stone Cold Steve Austin Schultz could have had that character, you know, d- down to a T. That w- that was Doctor D. It's the same character. And um, the story of the bounty hunter, back to that, when he went to Puerto Rico, the, the girls that were kidnapped there, and he, you know, he saved them. He just jumped right over the bar where they were being held hostage, and they had two dogs with them and a baby. And he said he went right in there, and he, he left with two girls, two dogs, and a baby. <laughs> you know, Dr. T, love him. Love everything about him, man. He's just, just a badass. Happy to be doing a show on him right now. All right, well, we got some other business yet today. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we got some plugs for you. We got, I think we each got one email, and then we'll let, yeah, you, gotta... know. We'll let you know what's up on episode eight of the 24 Inch Podcast. Let's do it, huh? Let's take a break. Let's finish this boy, this baby out. You. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right, fight for your life. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, you gotta take a stand and don't have to hide. Orange Podcast, we're back. One segment, Dave Rowland, Steve Bennett. Seven episodes just about in the can. It feels like we just started this. Really does. Siete. You can listen to this episode and all episodes of the 24-inch podcast on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find us on Twitter at 
the number two, the number four, the word inch, the word podcast at two, four inch podcast. You can also email us two, four inch podcast at gmail.com. And you can also uh, find us wherever you find podcasts. Just search 24 inch podcast and the sportscasters logo will pop up. Uh, that's where the feed is. And we'll always provide links on our own Twitters and on Spotify. You follow me and Dave and you'll get all the information that you need for sure. Everything you need to know. Give me a follow. All right. Just want to mention some of our friends. Uh, of course, we got to mention Peter Winson. Uh, his show, Greetings from Allentown, comes out every Thursday. Got a new episode out uh, this week about 1986 WWF when the Haiti kid gets his hair cut. One of my favorite classic, very good favorite pieces of business there. And he also has greetings from Allentown Live with Keithy. You can follow him on Twitter at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, Place to be nation, Justin and Scott will give us notes from time to time. And you can listen to me on that show. I'm going to be on March, the March 8th episode doing the um, November 1991 MSG show, which is a Hogan uh, flair match. Also, the Adams Division podcast, uh, one that I do with Peter. Uh, we're recording a new one this week as well. Excited for that, man. Really excited. All right. With all that said, how about an email? Okay. Would you like me to go first? Do it. All right. Kevin from Nutley checking back in. Kevin, we haven't heard from you in a few weeks. How you doing, my friend? Glad to hear from you. And here it goes. Dave, how far do you think... David Schultz would have gone with the WWF if not for his firing. Do you think he would have been given a run as a heel world champion or at least a run as the intercontinental champion? Uh, Kevin, good question. Um, like I said before, uh, I believe he was being groomed to be Piper's partner in uh, the first WrestleMania. So that would definitely lead on to some world title. More, he had some obviously had some title matches with Hogan, but it would lead to a lot more. I think he'd be a huge heel in the company. Uh, but for the title, no, that, that was for Hulk, the world title. And only other guy is Andre, you know, maybe what happens down the line that's taken it from him. So no, no world championship intercontinental title. I mean, it's, it's possible, but I think somewhere down the line, uh, the kind of attitude Schultz had, which, which makes us all love him. He probably wouldn't have lasted, you know, maybe another year with all the cartoons and bedspreads and buttons and ice cream. I don't think that was in his uh, field house. So I think we would have saw the demise of uh, Dr. D one way or another. But great question. Steve, what do you think? I mostly agree with you. You know what I think he would have done, though? He would have headlined a Saturday Night's Main event with Hulk. Absolutely. Right? Like one of those yeah. early Saturday Night's Main event, it would have been Hulk on top versus Dr. D. And they would have had a great match that we would be talking about all these years later. It's one of the best matches in history of Saturday Night's Main event. Yeah, they probably had a lot more fun with him on TNT. You know, I agree with well. you that they weren't taking his belt, the belt off Hulk in this era. And I don't know how long Dr. D would have lasted, but, you know, he would have been in the mix. And, you know, maybe he's the guy who gets Piper at WrestleMania 3 instead of Adonis. If wow, he sticks around what a matchup that, that would be. You know, maybe that's the retirement Ooh. match. Would love to see that feud. You know, who knows? But uh, I think yeah. he definitely would have been in the mix. He would have been a top heel in the company. He would wrestle big matches for sure. But no, no doubt about not it. the belt, not the belt, no. And, yeah, and no yeah you're right. I think it's the point is even made on the documentary. Like, he was going to be gone one way or another. Something was going to go down. Right. Too, too many Dick Ebersol around. He'll do something to piss him off or 
you know, do something at Bob Uecker or something. You know what I mean? All these celebrity involvements. It didn't seem like uh, Dr. D's cup of tea. Okay, well, as you hear in the background, Paula has an email. Miss right, Paula. So let's kick it off to Paula, and you never know what's going to come out of her mouth. So let's see what she's got tonight. Paula, you got emails, baby? Yeah. All right, what do you got? So this is the third one from Chloe. From our dog? Yeah. Oh, our dog, Colson. Oh. All right. I, 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 he, he, um, I helped him write a little bit, so. Oh, you helped him write it? Yeah. Okay, good. So I, I. He wanted. He said that when we do the twenty-four hour, twenty-four inch podcast, we need to know how we always do it. So he wondered why we do that. Okay, why do we do it? How about you take it first, Dave? Tell my dog why do you do podcasting? Well, I thought this question was going to be if Matilda was single or not, <laughs> but uh, since it's not that, uh, why I do why I do podcasting, Paula? Yes. Okay. Uh. Well. Uh, like I said, I have a job where, uh, you know, I do a lot of landscaping. I clean rooms. I'm like, I'm like when you go to school, like the janitor in your school would do, the custodian, you know. So I'm able to listen, put my earbuds in and listen to a lot of stuff. And I used to always, I'm a big music guy. But I haven't, I haven't like I told your dad, I haven't listened to certain, these albums we love in years because of podcasts. So I listen to. And I started listening to uh, Justin and Scott. And then, uh, you know, your dad and Peter Winson and then all the Conrad Thompson podcasts. Uh, so me and your dad became buddies for, through, uh, you know, messaging each other about different stuff about the podcast. And one day we just came up with, I don't know if it was me or him, we came up with the idea to, to join him as a co-host. I thought because I'm not very into technology and that kind of thing that I would never be able to, like, how the hell am I going to do that? I, I thought these guys, you know, like, no, 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 you can pull it off. And I think it's going, and we we jumped right into it. We didn't waste any time. I think if we if we sat on it for too long, it never would have happened. So we jumped right into it, and here we are, seven months and about four, seven episodes and about three or four months into it. Very nice. Well said. Yeah. What Thank else, you. Paul? You got any more? I have two more emails. All right. Tier one. This one is from Mom. Mom again? Mm. I heard of her. Hi, Mom. All right. What did she have to say? She said, when we do the podcast, we need to learn the interviews. <laughs> Got to learn about interviews? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it? Just a comment? Does she have a question or just a comment? Yeah. It, 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 that, that is a question. Is it? Yeah, it's a little question. It sounds like a comment, not a question. Dave, do you know how to answer such a question? What was it again? It was, uh, Mom says when we do this, we got to learn about interviews. Okay, yeah, I think uh, what mom means is that maybe she wants us to do a show on Tuesday Night Titans, the WWF interview show, and we could talk about, you know, the whole thing's like an interview show. It's a talk show, and uh, I think that would be a good idea. Maybe right, one last, show where Hulkster was on. Last one, baby. What do you got? The last one is, this one is from uh, Bradley. Who? Bradley? Yeah. Okay, Bradley, our neighbor. What does Bradley have to say? He said... My dad always listens to boring podcasts. Oh, his dad listens to boring ones? Okay. <laughs> so he thought that he he want so we had to listen to him the question. Okay, so he wants to know a good podcast he can tell his dad to listen to? Yeah. All right. I think David and I could both suggest one. Outside of my podcast and, 
you know, the Sportscasters and the 24-inch mm-hmm. podcast and the Adams Division podcast. Uh, another podcast that I listen to quite a bit and like is uh, the Ben Shapiro Show. Uh, it's a daily show with uh, some conservative podcasts, so I'd recommend mm-hmm. that one. Or if he's not into politics and he's looking for, you know, a comedy show, Jim Florentine uh, has a really good podcast called Everyth- Everyone is Awful. Everything is Awful, something like that. Uh, and it's really good, and Jim Florentine uh, makes fun of Facebook and shit like that. So those are good. Dave, you got any suggestions? Um, I don't know if Bradley is a Sopranos fan, but there's a, a podcast I oh, listen yeah. to every Talking Monday Sopranos. called Talking Sopranos with Steve Sharippa and Michael Imperioli. Excellent. They do a phenomenal job at that. They interview. It's an interview first with uh, somebody from the cast, you know, even if it was someone that was only on a few episodes or a writer or something like that. Then they'll get in and break down the episode. Uh, if you're not a Sopranos fan, our friends at Place to Be, it's not only wrestling. They have a pop feed, this, that. It, they cover just about everything you want to know about. So, you know, there's those guys, the Place to Be Nation. So uh, one of those two off the top of my head. Sure, sure. Some good ones. All right. Last email here. I got one. An old school sportscasters and lonely end of the rink listener, uh, Chuck, who is in Aurora, Illinois, which, again, or excuse Party me. Party on, Chuck. No, my bad. Aurora, 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 Colorado. My oh, frick, don't party on, Chuck. Yeah, not Illinois. Yeah. Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah. Screwed it's, that up. But kind of like Miyagi. Right, like Miyagi. The Sportscasters is big in Buffalo, New Orleans, and the Denver area. So we get some questions from people there. Oh, we got some breathing from Paula. All right. All right. Thank you, Chuck. You need Ma- to breathe. Chuck wants to know. Uh, there's been some great moments in wrestling history in Denver, and I've been there for them. What is the best moment you guys have been in the building for at a wrestling show? Okay. Uh, me go, you want me to go first? Sure. Take it. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go on. I'm going to go on the best moments, meaning big moments, not my personal feeling. My personal feeling would be the Hogan Killer Con match in the Meadowlands. That was my first one. But we're, I'm going to get away from that. I'm going to tell you about the big ones that I've been to. I was at SummerSlam 91, the match made in heaven and the match made in hell. We saw Bret Hart win his first uh, singles title there, beating Mr. Perfect in an awesome match. You had the, the main event, you, know, I got, you got to see Hulkster, but the main event was kind of lackluster, in my opinion, with uh, Sheik and Adnan being in it. So you had that. But one and of the all-time, my- all-time great matches, in my opinion. Bret and Perfect. Bret and Perfect, yeah. Absolutely. Great card down the line, SummerSlam 91. I was there in the garden for that. And uh, I was also at the big Starcade 1997. Ended up being a little uh, clusterfuck, but me and my buddy were seniors in high school. We got his big giant sub from Quick Check and brought it on the train and took a train down to Washington, D.C. And uh, saw Stinger and Hollywood Hogan go at it. And we ended up throwing that, you know, WCW, everybody throw the stuff in the ring. I don't know how we got it in the building. I can't remember, but we threw the big, from Carney, New Jersey, giant sub box into the ring at the end when everybody was throwing garbage in the ring, even though Sting won. But we weren't rooting for him. Uh, there's more, but those are – I can't – I'll be here all night, but those are my top two biggest – oh, WrestleMania – I'm not going to break it down, but WrestleMania 10 also. There's, there's three. SummerSlam 91, WrestleMania 10, Starcade 97. Well, the biggest shows I was ever at was uh, Survivor Series. You got me Survivor you got Series, me Dudley Game, uh, which was the first time The Rock ever won the belt. In um, in St. Louis, and then I was at WrestleMania six, uh, which of course had a sad moment at the end, which was Hogan losing to Warrior. But 
that night. Awesome match. But that night, uh, the best moment of the night, which I'll say is my favorite wrestling moment. I was at, also at November to Remember, I think 97, ECW pay-per-view, and was at the famous TV taping where, sadly, Steamboat lost the belt, and Killer Khan spit shit into the eyes of the Hulk to set up the match for Dave. That's the one. That's amazing. I've never been at a, a big TV taping like that. Yeah, fun that's day. That's amazing. Fun day for sure. But in the beginning of WrestleMania six, uh, Demolition uh, beat the Colossal Connection for the titles to a huge, massive, amazing Great moment. Pop. Which is a great moment. And then Andre turned face. Second uh, match of the card, too. Yeah. Like we weren't ready for that. Yeah. Whoa. So that's yeah, that's that will be my answer. To be there, to see Andre turn back, to turn on Heenan after he betrayed everyone in 87 and crushed me and have all Heck the other yeah. Hulkamaniacs. You know, to be able to be that's, there when he finally turned sec- on Heenan. That's my second favorite WrestleMania, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. WrestleMania 6 is my second favorite WrestleMania. Good time. So that's my answer. Thanks for that, Chuck. All right. Next awesome. t- next time on the 24-inch podcast, what do we got, Dave? Next time, we're going to say happy birthday to a friend of the show, John D'Amato, who celebrated a birthday. And I know he asked you, Steve, for a favor for us to do a show on the 1986-87 feud of the Hulkster Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful, as Bobby Heenan called him, Paul Orndorff. I'm excited. I can't even explain it how excited I am. This is the feud that more or less brought me here today. Hulkster and Orndorff, 86. Now, we're going to split it in two. So, one half of the feud will be the turn itself and the big event. That will be its own show. And then this show, we'll talk about, of course, why they're having these matches. But we won't totally break down uh, the turn as much as we will the other time. So we're, we're kind of working backwards. We're working backwards. And instead, we're going to focus more on the two Saturday Night's Main Event matches and those cards. Um, so it'll be a two-part. Orndorff will be a two-parter. Um, and since we do things out of order, we'll start with the second half of it and do the first half down the line. But oh, I just man, want I to make it sense. For this. Of course, we're still going to do the big, you know, the main event. And we're still going to do all the big event and all that. For those of you who know, when Steve's saying the big event, after Orndorff turned on Hulk on TV, they had the big event, which it was called the big event, quote-unquote, in Toronto. Uh, it was 78,000, 76, 78,000 people uh, showed up at CNE Stadium for a, basically a house show. But uh, we'll, yeah. you know, we'll, men- we'll mention it, but down the line, it'll have its whole show, my man, the whole deal. Yeah. So we'll be ready. All right. So I think we did it all today. I mean, we talked about. 2020, John Stossel, history of wrestling in Minnesota, the dark side of the ring. We talked about the Hulk and Dr. D match. We did a lot. So that's Wait it for a minute. today. So you're saying that's it? I have nowhere to go. Where am I supposed to go? Well, I don't know where you're going to go, but you can't stay here, brother, because I need you to do something for me. I need Let's you to do tell, it. tell your friends. You got to eat your vitamins, say your prayers, and tell your friends Check. to listen to Check. the 24-inch podcast. Brother. Jeez.